basically, Paul explains that because we are no longer a slave to sin, but instead we are now slaves to Christ, we can leave our sin behind. And this is good news for us. Let's hear the word of the Lord this morning. For I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let us look to our Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for the promise that you have made to us that you will give good gifts to your people. And we bless you that one of those good gifts is a faithful pastor who is more concerned with the eye of God than the fear of men. So Lord, we thank you for Pastor Greg. We ask now that he would continue that faith by preaching the gospel boldly and without fear, as you have called him to do, but more even than the calling you have equipped him to do. Father, that this time that we have set aside would be by the work of your spirit on Greg and on us who hear a divine meeting of you with your people over your word to the glory of your name and to the praise of the finished work of Jesus through the spirit and we pray it in his name amen amen all right leaving our sin behind is really a theme that the bible talks about throughout i mean the bible is clear that even though a believer will sin he or she doesn't have to sin. Now, I think this is something we, that, that we're really going to pound here. We, we did last week, we're new this week. Paul is letting us know that we don't have to sin, even though we will sin. We don't have to sin. So we see there's a tension here. There's a tension in the Word of God on this, and we've got to understand that as Christians or we'll go crazy. Again, remember the two extremes, being sinless and saying, I haven't sinned at all, and I'm perfect, I'm, I've achieved or just going the other way and saying, well, no use, I'm going to sin anyway, so I might as well do a good job of it, and I'll just keep on doing it. Well, there's the two extremes, right? But what we see in Scripture is a tension for the believer. We have been saved from our sin, but we are not yet separated from the presence of sin and the temptation of sin. We're not in glory yet. We're still in this middle phase called sanctification here on, on earth, and there's a battle now going on for the believer We've been saved from sin, but we are still in the presence of sin, and we sometimes will. I think 1 John uh, chapter 2, one through, one, verses 1 and 3 gives us this tension and, and kind of shows us this. Look what it says. John says, my, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Or literally in the Greek, so that you not sin. You do not sin. So this is a, 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 an, an apostle writing to a church of believers, my little children, you are in Christ, you're children of God, I'm writing these things to you so that you don't sin. So that is definitely a teaching of God's word, that Christians do not and should not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And then verse 3 says, and by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. So you see bookended there, we have my little children, Christians, you who profess Christ, don't sin. Don't do it. As a matter of fact, here's how we will know that you are truly a child of God and that you do know Jesus because you will keep his commandments. So if we look at those bookends, we see this command to us and this refresher for us from John. 
Christian, don't sin. As a matter of fact, keep his commands. So you see that. But in the middle, because again, we're, we're in this tension, right, as humans, so that we don't go crazy if we do happen to sin. The grace is here in the middle. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. So there's again that tension in the book of 1 John, probably more so than any other book. We also saw that he says this, if we say we have no sin, we lie, and the truth is not in us. Then he says don't sin. So you say, what? make up your mind. What is it? Do we sin or do we not sin? Yes. Yes, that's the answer for the believer. But we don't have to is the point. This, is, this tension, if you notice, the, 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 the main force is this. Strive against sin and strive to keep God's laws for his glory. Knowing in the back of our minds that we're but flesh still in this life, and there'll come times that we give in to temptation. But when we do, we don't continue in sin. We confess our sins. We turn from them, and we get back up, and we keep moving forward down that road of sanctification to become more and more like Christ. That is the life of a Christian. From the, from the time you're born again until the time you stand in glory, that is our life. This tension between not sinning and having victory over sin and growing in God's grace and keeping his commands and then sinning and then confessing it and repenting of it and then going forward again in the grace of God. That is what chapter 6 is all about. That, this is what Paul is letting us know. He's letting us know that if we have been justified by faith, then we have a choice to leave sin behind. As he's talking about these masters, who do you serve? You're going to serve somebody. You're either going to have sin as your master or you're going to have Christ as your master. You can't have both at the same time. So while you're serving one, you're not serving the other is what he's been telling us here. So before Christ was our master, before we were saved, we had no choice in our sin. We just served sin. Sin was our master, and we served sin. And, and, and for the most part, we had no qualms with that. No conviction, no problem. Now that we have been justified by faith, Paul says, now that we are in Christ, sin is no longer our master. We've been set free from the master sin, and now we have become slaves to Christ. He is now our master, and because he is our master, we're not the same person. And now we have the ability to actually choose not to sin. Why? We're not the same person. We're not the same person that was under the old slave master of sin. As a matter of fact, if we go back a little bit in Romans, Romans 6, verse 6 and 7, Look what he says about the old man, our old nature, the old self, the old us, rather. He says this, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Paul's reminding us here of this amazing transformation that has happened because of the gospel the gospel is transformative. It changes us. Folks, Christianity, being born again, is more than just signing your name to a church role. It's more than just giving mental assent that, oh, I believe in Jesus, and I went forward, I made some kind of a, of a speech and said a prayer, and now I'm a, quote, Christian. Now, being saved by God's grace is transformative. It's radical. It's something that happens to you by the grace of God through the power of that gospel that you heard, the news of Christ. It's, it's like this. I mean, think about this. He, Paul is liking it to us being crucified. That's a climactic experience. I mean, you cannot endure that cataclysmic, life-altering torture of crucifixion and remain the same. You're going to be affected. You're going to be changed dramatically. And what Paul is saying, we are now dead to sin is our master. It's no longer our master. Christ is. You're a new person. That's the 2 Corinthians 5.17. We've got to remind ourselves of this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a, say it, new. He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Something happens when we repent of our sins and truly 
bow the knee to Christ, trusting him, and he becomes our Lord. Something happens. And we cannot any longer uh, abide by this false gospel that's preached that puts the gospel on a shopping shelf in, in the supermarket, and we're just going down life grabbing philosophies and ideas and whatever we want to make ourselves feel better with, and we grab, quote, Christianity and put it in. And we go about our lives. And, and there's no change. It will radically transform us. It takes over our whole being, and we are dead to the old person, and now we're alive in Christ. No longer can we use the old excuse, folks, as Flip Wilson back in the 70s. Many of you may know. Maybe you don't. Many of you are thinking, Flip who? Flip what? But Flip Wilson had a character called Geraldine, and we can no longer use the excuse, which was, the devil made me do it. Every time you did something wrong, well, the devil made me do it. A lost person can say that because they are slaves to Satan and sin. It's their master. There is no other way. Their nature loves it. They are slaves to it. They willingly, and we willingly, gave in to sin. But now we've been made new by the gospel. We are no longer slaves to sin, but we are slaves to Christ. And if that's the case, the devil can make us do nothing. Amen. <laughs> That is, that, is, that is where Christians have to rest and live. Now that I am in Christ, Satan can't make me do anything. They like that. This is good preaching, folks. But it's true. He can't do it. We basically now can choose. And every time we choose to sin is the reason we sin. Let me reword that. We only sin as a Christian because we choose to sin. And if we can choose to sin, we can choose not to sin. So this is where Paul's bringing us as believers, those who profess Christ. We can choose not to sin because we are under Christ now. And I want to ask, I mean, can, can we say that we've experienced that? How many of us in this room can say we've experienced that this week? A time you were tempted just this week to do something, maybe to look at something you shouldn't look at. And yet, you pray, God, I don't want to do this. I need your grace. You promised a way of escape. I'm going to take that, Lord. I'm going to worship you. I'm going to move my mind. I'm going to take it captive by your grace. You're my master, not this sin. I'm in you, not in sin anymore. I don't have to do this. I'm moving on and literally get up and move. Some have done that this week. What about somebody who hurt you terribly? I mean, you were hurt. And your response that was welling up in you was to be bitter and angry and to, to respond angrily, not in love or kindness or forgiveness or patience, but ugh. And yet you prayed, God, wait, Lord, give me the grace. I don't want to do this. I know I shouldn't do this. I need you, Father, to live through me. I need your grace now. And so instead of being angry, you were able to respond at that moment in love and enduring forgiveness and, and, and just forbearing. That's, just, that's grace, folks. And that's evidence. That's the evidence that God is working in you. That's the, the greatest evidence that you're a Christian is not that you're always perfect. The greatest evidence that you're a Christian is that you battle sin. And from time to time, you see victories. You see the grace of God actually working his his truth through you. So Paul was telling the believers in Rome, and he's telling us that the reason we no longer have to sin is because we have a new master. Is he your master? Is, is Christ your master? This is why Paul's using such, such, such extreme language here of slaves and masters. Look at verse 19 now as we move into today's portion. He breaks up the talk here by saying, I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. He said, I know we're all humans here, and I'm using an example that we can all understand. Paul may even have in the back of his mind that some may be offended by his use of slave and, and, and master. Possibly, as I said last week, people today hear a message like this, and they're offended. And what Paul is saying is, look, we're, we're, we're using a human example that we can understand to make an extreme point here. 
A slave is under his master, and he does what his master says. And when we were under sin, he was our master, and we did what he said. Now we're under Christ, and he's our master, and we do what he says. That's what he's saying. So he gives that a little bit of a parenthesis there, but then he jumps right back into the point. He says, For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. And this is just a quick note on that. Is it not so true that when we begin to present ourselves to sin and commit sin, it always leads to more sin? We commit our members to to lawlessness, which leads what? To more lawlessness. You ever heard somebody say, I can't believe I got here to where I'm at? I mean, they're in sin to such a degree that it's it's horrific, and, and we think, what in the world? What, what are you doing in this place? That person did not wake up that morning and say, I'm going to commit this atrocious sin. No, it was small steps, right? Sin here, sin here, sin here. And finally we find ourselves in a place that we, we can't believe. But what Paul is trying to do is he's trying to help us, Believers. Not to be in that place. Don't present your members to lawlessness, but present your members to righteousness. Notice the then and now language here. I love this, this this aorist tense here. He's he's talking about what you once did. You once presented, past tense, you you once presented your members, your, your bodies to sin. That was then. But this is now, he says. So now... So now present your members as slaves of righteousness leading to sanctification. Basically, Paul's saying, leave your sin in the past and walk in the now of sanctification. And this is what the call for every believer is. This is our daily prayer as we we wake every morning. Lord, I want to be more like you today and less like my old self. I want to put stuff off and I want to put good stuff on. I want to put the sin away I'm going to put the righteousness on. That should be our goal every day, and we need to be intentional about that. Put on righteousness. Put on good deeds. Now, now I think it's interesting when we, when we talk about this idea. Again, legalism creeps everywhere. It's always creeping. It's always sitting in every church waiting to jump out and say, ah, good, you want to do some rules? Let's, I'll show you how to do rules. Let's be careful here. You want to be moral? I'll help you be moral and do good moral deeds. Notice something that Douglas Moo points out here that's very enlightening for us. Listen, he says, the Christian is not just called to do right in a vacuum, but to do right out of a new and powerful relationship that has already been established. So what he's saying there is very important. We don't just start doing good things to feel good about ourselves. For one thing, a lot of people do. It's called moral therapeutic deism. And we start doing good things to feel good about ourselves. But we don't do that, he's saying. We don't don't do good things to, quote, become a slave of Christ. We've got to be a slave of Christ before we can ever do a good deed. Do you see that? The relationship, as, as Douglas Moose says, a relationship that's already been established. We're already in Christ. He's already our master. Now we're called as that relational slave of Christ to do good things to obey his commands by his power, because of his relationship. Do you see that? So we don't just do good works on our own for our own benefit or or trying to earn some favor. We do them because of our love for our master and the relationship we have with him by faith. Now notice what we see in the next three verses here. We see the fruit of these Masters, What do they give us? When we serve sin, what's he give us? When we serve Christ, what, what's he give? The fruit. Verse 20 and 21 deal with the fruit of sin. He says, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time? From Look at this. From the things which you are now ashamed. That's, that's a hint right there. Some of the fruit of sin is what? Shame. Guilt brokenness, depression. That's the fruit of that master called sin. 
And he goes on to say, for in the end, the end of those things is death. The devil promises us a good thing, but the thief, Jesus says, has only come to steal and to kill and to destroy. So he lies. And then we buy it in our flesh. Oh, good, this will make me happy. This will, this will fulfill me. I'll do this, and it'll bring me real joy and pleasure and whatever else he says. And we give our members over to that sin, and it may give momentary pleasure. The Bible is very clear on that. It says sin is fun for a season. But it is fun, or else we wouldn't do it. It, it, it is enticing. It's temporarily satisfying. And yet, we have got to understand the clarity of Scripture that gives us the warning that it's a trap. It ultimately leads to shame, guilt, depression, pain, brokenness, and death. Death of families, death of marriages, death of relationships, death of societies. So that's the fruit of sin. But look at Christ. Verse 22. But, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and it ends in eternal life. Real life. This is important for us to understand. We're not, we're not talking about it. I love, I love this. Somebody, you could almost read these comparisons and say, well, that's not very dramatic. I mean, it, it doesn't say you'll, you'll, now that you're a slave of Christ, you'll grow wings and start flying and singing happy songs all day long. And everything will come your way. All the riches you need and all the health you need and everything will just be hunky-dory. That's Greek for perfect. I'm kidding, I don't know. But, but <laughs> this, this, this is really good for us in that when we see the fruit, it's not over-dramatized. God's not saying here, that in this life, all of a sudden, all of your problems are gone. He simply said, you will now begin to be sanctified. And it leads to eternal life. You're on the road to eternal life. You have been sanctified and justified in Christ. And now you're going through that process. He's working in you. And that's good fruit, folks. And when you think about it, it is so much better than just temporal things. Money and fame and quote happiness from situations right circumstances those things are fleeting and yet there is nothing greater than laying your head down on your pillow at night with peace in your heart an overwhelming thought that lord i have tried my best to please you and i don't have the shame i once had when i was serving sin i'm still in this flesh that can sin but lord i am not the same and there is a peace, and there is a joy that even in the midst of problems, you're still going to have financial worries, you're still going to have relational uh, misunderstandings, we're, we're still going to have suffering and sickness and death. But there are things that money cannot buy, that Christ gives us these fruit that the world cannot take away, and no circumstance can alter them, and they are bedrocks that give us lasting joy and peace, leading us ultimately to experience the eternal life one day that God has promised us. We rest in that. It is better, folks. It is better. And then to sum it all up, he, he, he goes to verse 23 here. And he sums up everything he said. For, for basically, therefore, everything I've said, for the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Again, the idea here is just what Jesus told us. He said, the thief comes to kill and destroy. I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Again, even there, Jesus didn't say, I've come that you may be rich and prosperous and healthy and never sick. No, he just simply said, I'm giving you real life. I'm giving you real life and more abundant life, eternal life that begins right now. John Stott, I love how he points something out about Romans 23 here, 623. Notice that sin pays wages. You get what you deserve. 
But God gives a free gift. You are given what you do not deserve. This is why we worship him. This is why we praise him and exalt him. He has been so good to us. The wages of sin, we earn it. We, we are earning the judgment of God. You want to earn something? The only thing you're going to earn, you're not going to earn eternal life, you're not going to earn righteousness, you're going to earn the wrath of God. That's, that's the only thing that pays us back for what we do, and it's sin. Sin pays death. That's what it gives us. And we've earned it. We deserve it. But the free gift of grace, we don't deserve it. And yet he gives it by faith in Christ alone. Christ earned it for us. He earns our righteousness. He has done it. It is finished. And so we rest in that. And some of you think it's finished right now. You say, well, we're at verse 23 and we're finished, but we're not. <laughs> I just want to make a, in a conclusion statement here. I just want to talk a little bit more about this idea of sanctification because this is so vital for us to understand as believers. This is really the main force the main thrust of our lives right now as a believer in the world living our lives, that we would be sanctified. You know the other word for sanctification in the Bible? It's holy. That's what God said. Be ye holy as I am holy. That's, that should be our striving. I know we don't hear a lot of language like that today, the holiness of God's people, that we should live a holy, separated lifestyle unto God, but that's God's language in his word for us. We should be set apart to God and striving daily to be more like him and to shed what the culture and society has told us is normal, which is, again, a group of people whose master is sin, just like our master was sin. We're no longer in that kingdom. We are in the kingdom of God, with Christ as our Savior, Lord, and Master. So every day, we should be striving for sanctification. But let me talk about it, because sanctification can be misunderstood. Again, extremes. We've got to watch those. So let's talk about the two sides of sanctification. There are two sides to our sanctification. There's the human side, and this is where people get confused sometimes, but there's this human side we see in the scriptures, and there's the sovereign side that we see. And we cannot discount either. We can't go to extremes on it. We, we have to see both of them as they are revealed in scripture and taught to us. So first, look at this human side, or a, we could even say the, the human responsibility of us as believers to actually strive for sanctification. It's, Romans 8, 13 through 14. Look what it says. And listen to this language. Let us walk properly as in the daytime. Let's walk properly in the broad daylight, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling or jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Do you see that intentional language? This is to us. They're act, they're, this is a call to action for us. Do not make provision for your flesh. Don't make it easy for yourself to sin. This is sanctification. When we intentionally make choices that will not put us in a place that's going to make it easy for us to gratify the desires of the flesh. That's what he's saying here. And all these things that we see mentioned, this is where the Romans, Paul's writing to the Romans, and we've already seen the, the sensuality of Rome and the sexual sins that were rampant. And many of these believers have come out of that. And Paul's saying, look, walk properly as a believer. There's a way you should be walking not in orgies or drunkenness or sexual immorality and sensuality and quarreling and fighting among each other, being bitter with each other and angry and, and jealous. But what's he say? Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's an action call. That's something that we as believers should be intentional about doing. In our minds, Lord, I want to put on you. And I don't want to make provision for my flesh. Look at Ephesians 4, 27, a very short uh, seven words. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven words for you to memorize. So easy. We need this. What's it say? And give no opportunity to the devil. It's a call to action, folks. For, for Christians who are saved by God's grace, we are to give no foothold 
to the devil. Give no opportunity. Again, it, it mirrors what Paul's already said. Do not make it easy for your flesh to gratify itself. Don't go places that are going to tempt you in certain ways. Don't go to sites that are going to tempt you. If need be, you may have to take more intentional action and say, well, I, I'm not going to have a device that allows me to do that. I don't want to make any provision for my flesh. Look at 1 Corinthians 9, 24 and 27. It gets a little more detailed. It's the same, same language, same call for us. You say you're a Christian, you say you love Jesus. Where's your sanctification? Where's your holiness? Verse 24, do, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. A call to action for a Christian from Paul here. You say you're a Christian? Run like you're wanting to win. Run like you actually want to defeat sin. Okay, look at the rest of this verse. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, a stinking trophy that rusts on your basement shelves. Right? He said, I, he said, he said they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable a prize that never fades away. Eternal life and the glories that await us. So look what he says. So I do not run aimlessly. Now he's talking about his Christian faith, his life for Christ. I'm not running aimlessly or carelessly or unintentionally. I'm not just running this race thinking, well, whatever happens, happens. We'll see what, what God does. He's not, he says, no, I don't run aimlessly. I do not box as one beateth the air. I'm not just shadow boxing and punching here and there, harem, scare them. He said, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Again, at the end there, we get the truth again that we are capable of sin. This is not sinless perfection Paul's preaching here. We're, we're, we're never going to arrive, but he says, don't stop fighting with intention. Do not stop keeping yourself as self-controlled as you can. Take all thoughts captive. Do not let that, that fear run amok in your brain, but pray, Lord, I cannot do this on my own. You must give me the grace to get back into your word, to see the promises you give me that will outshout the enemy in my mind and give me the peace that you've promised me. This is what it means. Again, I kind of jumped ahead there, but again, on our side, we're saying no. I am going to discipline my mind, my body, and keep it under control. I'm going to be intentional about being sanctified. That's the human side. And we can go too far with that and put it all in us, on us. And think it's all up to us. And this is where we default as, as Christians. It's about me doing what's right in my own power. So I'm going to have a list of things I can do and, and so forth. But now we've got to get to the sovereign side. We've got to have both here. You cannot do the one-sided human side. It's not going to work. It's both. The sovereign side. And the sovereign side carries more weight, by the way, because without the sovereign side, we're sunk. But notice this sovereign side tells us that God gives us a new heart and changes our desires by his grace. Look at Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27. We saw it last week. But look, this is, this is a verse on sanctification. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And look, what's the result? Sanctification. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be, a, and be careful to obey my rules. So in practice, the last part of that verse, we're seeing what Paul was talking about in those earlier verses on the human side. Be disciplined, walk accordingly, keep the laws of God. But down here, we see that it's God working in us, allowing us to have the grace to do those things. Therefore, we are praying constantly, Father, give me a new heart, change my desires, give me a love for you. Take away my desire for sin. Give me a desire for righteousness because only you can do it. 
Ephesians 2, 12 and 13, look at this. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Okay, so in a, an, another kind of a human side here, Paul's talking to Christians and he's saying, look, look, live the life, obey. You've obeyed the commands of God. Of course, that's what Paul's referring to. They, you've obeyed the teachings of God as I preached to you the word of God. And now that I'm not there, keep obeying, he says. Obey and work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That which you profess to have in your heart, knowing Christ as your Savior, it should be working out where everybody can see your holiness, your sanctification, your righteousness, you see? But now, he didn't stop there. Look what he says. For it is God who works in you. You see the both and? It's a both and, folks. Who's working, me or God? Yes, it's one of those deals, right? We are to be working out our salvation. We are to be intentional about it. So we work, but it's God who's working in you. Can't forget it. We rest in it. That's, our, that's the only source we have. He says, it is God who works in you both to will and to work. It's God who gives you the very desire to please him. It's God who gives you the very willingness to obey his commands, and he gives you the power to work it out. And he does it for his good pleasure. That's what it says. Now here's the rub, folks. We're not serious about this. We're not serious about leaving sin behind. That's, that's the problem. We're not serious about leaving sin behind and growing in Christ. We may say we are, we may do a few things, but For one thing, I just gave us several verses about that. And if we were serious uh, about truly being sanctified, we would have written those verses down so we could memorize them. We would have thought, you know, I don't want to miss this because this is, this is my sanctification. I, I want to please God. He's telling me how to do it, and I have this desire to do it. But if we're honest, most of us have a desire to get a Longhorn Steakhouse more than we desire to actually get the equipment, the tools that God has given us freely in his word to live for him, to conquer sin, to actually do good works for his glory. I mean, you want to know what real revival is? It's when God moves among his people in such a way as to cause them to get serious about killing sin and exalting Christ. That is revival. When a people of God, who are cold and lethargic, a move of God's Spirit awakens those dry hearts, and now there's a desire to kill sin and exalt Christ in every area of my life. I mean, revival is not a momentary uh, butterflies in my tummy thing. It's about a lasting transformation in the way you reverence God and hunger for His Word and His righteousness and his name to be exalted, and for him to become famous in your community, in your, in your life, in your family. He's the one people see. We'll hunger for him, for his word, and we'll be totally transformed by the word of God. That's revival. He becomes the love of my life. The motivation for all I do. And we have this heart that's changed. And it's only him. It's only, it's only by his grace. And we forgive and we're patient. And so I must apologize for being mean. And show grace to all of us that we need, right? We do. And I want us. This is why I'm preaching. I'm not preaching. See, this is the point. I, Sometimes preachers, you feel like maybe in our flesh we do it. We, we almost want to discourage people and just tell them how bad they are. You are so, you, you, you should have wrote this down, you scum. But if I was sitting where you were, I wouldn't either. I've been to many conferences. I'm just sitting there. I'm not writing. So I'm with you. I mean, preachers must remember that we're all dying men preaching to dying men. We're dying, a dying man preaching to dying men about the hope of Christ. 
and praying that he change us. So here are those verses. Write these down. <laughs> because I want you to grow. My, my desire, take a picture of their phone. My desire is for us as believers to truly be serious about being a slave to Christ. Is he my master? Why do I pay more attention to so many other statistics and TV shows and things in this world than I do about being serious about serving my eternal Savior? So here are these verses. Psalm 119.11 tells us, I have hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. We want to stop sinning. Get the word of God in your life, in your heart, in your soul. So this is just a few verses that will help remind us on a daily basis, Lord, I want to be like you're telling me to be, and you must give me the grace. There's the balance. We're going to be forcing ourselves to get things out of our life, at the same time praying that God give us the ability to do it, knowing we can't do it by ourselves. That's what God calls us to do. Don't allow the devil to discourage you. Because this is what, the, you know what? Satan hates real revival. He doesn't mind flashy, showy, emotional moments. He's all about that. He wants us to be distracted by, wow, I feel great. I'm just filled to the brim with happiness and joy. It's something else. I can't explain it. It's wonderful. Well, I, 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 I cannot help but think that Satan would love to have all Christians sitting in a gigantic theater for uh, uh, weeks and weeks and months and months just singing and jumping around and telling each other how great they feel. But he does not want God's people to get serious about confessing and turning from their sin, falling in love with Christ and his gospel, and boldly going out into the world and telling everybody they see about the glories of the cross. He does not want that. And that is revival, because only God can bring that to pass. And that should be our heart. So do not let the devil discourage you, because that's what he's going to want to do. He does not want us to be serious about sanctification. He doesn't want us to be serious about uh, relying on God's grace to make us his people. He'll discourage you. After this message, you'll be tempted to work out of your own effort. You will. You'll still be tempted. As much as I've said we can't do it, you'll be tempted to work out of your own effort. You'll, you'll, you'll be tempted to get, the, get discouraged when you fail. And you'll give up. Well, I sin, might as well give up. That's what Satan wants you to do. You'll be tempted to make a list that you can keep in order to feel sanctified. That's another problem. You'll, you'll say, okay, I'm going to be sanctified. I'm going to make a good list. I can do this, 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 this. Oh, I'm doing these things. My list. That's what legalistic churches do. They make lists. They keep those. They're doing well. They're not allowing God to sanctify them. Because God constantly brings up new things in our heart that sin. That's what sanctification really is. It's when we are surrendered to him on a daily basis and he is, he is, we are so much in his word that his spirit is constantly nudging and opening a new room in our heart that we thought was hidden and closed even to us. And then we, by his grace, confess it, turn from it, replace it with his glory and his commands. So don't, don't just make a list that you think you can keep. Just be open to God's word daily, saying, Lord, search me, try me, see if there be any wicked way in me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. You'll be tempted to worry about what others think and do. That's what we always do, right? What are they doing? Or, I'm doing more than they are, so I'm more sanctified. Or, what do they think about me if I do this? That's the other temptation from the world side. When we go back to work or we go back with our families, and we are living a life based on the commands of God, and it looks way different. You see, the problem is when we begin to live like light and become the light of the world as Jesus calls us, we're in a dark world, folks, and people start squinting because it hurts. When they see us living the righteousness of God, they don't hate us, but they hate his truth. And there's where the rub comes in with the world. And then we begin to worry, I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want to be looked at as weird or wacky. Don't be tempted, folks, to worry about what people think about you. Worry about what your Lord and Master thinks. We are here to perform before an audience of one if we are believers, and it's our Savior, Him alone. And then the final thing that I really want to encourage you against is allowing Satan to tempt you by listening to the lies of the enemy and yourself. These lies that will keep coming in. Well, you know, I can't do this, or... I, I, 
I'm not really saved or because, because I must have fallen once. Who are you relying on? This is the problem, right? Who are we trusting in? If we're constantly worried about that we're not saved because we sin and we're, and we're that worried about it, folks, we're trusting ourselves. The peace of God comes when we rest in his ability to save me. I know he's given me enough in his word to know that don't be discouraged when you do sin. That's why 1 John was written. You will sin, but fight it. Turn from it. Don't do it. That's your default setting. I don't want to sin. Oh, I sin. That doesn't mean I'm finished. It means I want to confess that and now get back to my default setting. I don't want to sin. I want to serve God. I want to keep his commands. So don't listen to the lies that say, well, you're, you're, you're nobody, man. You're a sinner. You, you, did the, you are the person that you used to be. You are that sin. That is your identity. That's who you are. You did it for all those years. It's just too, that's, there's no getting past it. Do not listen to the lies of Satan, the accuser. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 11. I'm winding it up here, but look at this. As Paul writes to these believers, he's encouraging them with the same message I'm giving us right now. He reminds them, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? So again, the Bible speaks to both kinds of people at all times. We're preaching to all kinds of people. Those who don't care about their sin, they could care less. They're not convicted and they think somehow God's going to forgive them. He warns them, no, do not think you can continue blatantly in sin and it be your master and you end up in heaven. That's not going to happen. But on the other hand, he is soft with those who are saved by God's grace and yet the enemy is trying to convince them that they can't be good anymore, that they are who they once were. And he reminds them, no, 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 God's grace is sufficient for you because you're in Christ. Do not sin anymore. Okay, there's a balance, right? We need to be tough proclaiming a message of repentance to those who are hardened against God because they need to understand the dire place they are under the wrath of God. And that's what Paul's doing here. But then we also need to be gracious with a Christian who is broken about their sin, repenting of it, and yet hearing the lies of the, the enemy. So this scripture is wonderful. Look, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now Satan's already telling somebody a lie. Well, wait, you've done one of those things. You can't be saved. You were immoral. You've had sex outside of marriage. You committed adultery. You've been drunk. And then the key idea here is those who are habitually continuing in these sins, serving that as your master with no care to repent or battle it. That's what he's saying. Do not think you can live in these ways and that be your identity and how you identify yourself and think you can inherit the kingdom of, of heaven. And here's how we know. Look what Paul goes on to say. Such were some of you. Such were some of you. But the key word is were. You were, though. Here's the glorious truth. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. What is Paul doing here? He's countering the lies of the enemy in this church. He's writing to a church. Paul understands that the people he's talking to, he knows when he's going into this that he's not talking to the hardened rebellion sinner who's going to continue in their homosexuality, blatantly saying, that's who I am, I don't care what God says, or that thief who continues to steal, or this, this immoral person who continues to, to, to be hateful and greedy and uh, whatever. He, he's not talking to them, and he knew that. He's talking to those who were once there and are now saved by God's grace, and he's reminding him of who they are in Christ. This is part of our sanctification that we cannot forget. The enemy will try to tell you you are what you once were, but Christ reminds us, I crucified all of that in my own death. I have paid for all that sin, and you, if you are in me and you are my child, then you are no longer that. You are a son and daughter of God. You are a slave of Christ. You can continue to serve me, is what he's saying. If I'm in Christ, 
I am not the sum of my past sins. That's what this is all about. This is the freedom in Christ, folks. The guilt is gone. The shame is gone. Because I have a new identity, a new master in Christ. Therefore, I can continue to confess sin when it comes. But for the most part, my trajectory in life is I am getting more and more like Christ. I am reading his word. I'm memorizing his word. I'm battling sin. I'm not just living in it. I'm hating it and turning from it and becoming more and more like Christ. I love what John Newton said. We'll, start, we'll close with a quote from John Newton that I think encourages us. And this is what Paul was trying to tell us. He says, I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be in the world to come, but still I am not what I once used to be. And by God's grace, by the grace of God, I am what I am. That's where we all stand as believers. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the encouragement of your word and also the correction of your word. Father, I pray that you continue to move in grace among the people here, that if there is one who is still under the slavery of sin, they have not turned to you by faith and rested in your promise that you have died and was buried and rose again to give them victory. Let them just right now rest in that fact and put their faith and trust in you. And Father, those of us who have trusted you and have been justified by your grace, let us daily run to you and be serious about serving you as our master. Change us. Give us that heart that thirsts for righteousness and longs to please you. Father, you must bring revival in our hearts. That's our prayer. May you be glorified. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand this morning.